What is up, my metal maniacs? Right over here, you got George. Right over here, you got Tom. And, and you you've got, got you've got another thing coming. And you've got another podcast coming. You are drinking out of your drinking horn today. Yes, that's I how am. I know that you've got something serious. Dude, I've got some pretty high caliber beer going. Today I'm drinking Lancaster Brewing Company's Winter Warmer Ale. Now, this is not a driving beer. It's not a beer that you can't just kick a few of these back. This is a pretty, I mean, I can, but the point I'm trying to but make. But don't drive this, anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Don't make any fucking plans if you're going to drink some of these. This is a really aggressive beer. It is nearly 9% alcohol by volume, and it's a really nice spicy ale from the good people at Lancaster Brewing. And what I really like about this beer is that it's seasonal. It only comes out between November and December, if I recall correctly. And one thing I really like about it is that the proceeds go to the Wolf Sanctuary of Pennsylvania. Amazing. Yeah. Winter warmer for wolves. Yes. So this is not only a fantastic beer, but if you buy it, a portion of the proceeds go to a fantastic cause, which is wildlife conservation. I'm an animal lover, so I can definitely get behind that. That's awesome, dude. George, what are you slamming back tonight? This is dark as the blackest metal. This is a chocolate cookie stout by Area 2 Experimental Brewing. Not to be confused with Area 51. No, not 51. This is Area 2, guys. That's 49 less areas. I'll put up a picture of this can on Twitter because Mm -hmm. it is beautiful. It is a picture of Oreos stacked on top of each other with a bite taken out of them. Man, this beer tastes like chocolate and cinnamon and sugar and happiness. It It is a joy to drink and also... Not to be messed with, because this is 10%. Ooh, I am one-upping you, Tom. Damn, literally one-upping me. You've beaten me by a percent, you son of a bitch. Oh, I'm a jerk. You're the greatest jerk I know, buddy. Oh, thanks, pal. Today, we're on Zoom, and we are talking about stained class, baby. So, George, you've been wanting to talk about stained class for a while now. Oh, yeah. Man, stained class is just such an awesome like masterful album. And I think this is an album where a lot of priest fans feel the same way. And I would say stained class definitely gets a little more attention than sin after sin, even though it's largely in the same vein musically, but stained class got a few of the bigger hits like exciter beyond the realms of death, And some of the songs are even seeing their way back into the set West in recent years, like uh, Saints in Hell on the Firepower Tour and Invader, which was premiered for the first time on 50 Heavy Metal Years. We talked about that song last year, but today we're back to give a little bit of our impressions as a whole to the album and to get in and break down the title track as well, which 
out of a four song poll on Twitter, our listeners decided that stained class was the one they wanted to hear the most. So we're going to talk about that one. Uh, Thanks to all our awesome Twitter followers and thanks to everyone who voted. You guys are cool. And we hope that you're going to enjoy this episode. I'm excited to do this one. So, George, Stained Class is a monumental album for this band, and for good reason. This is an album that has so many bangers on it, really incredible music. So this is also an album of firsts for the band. It is the first album to feature Les Binks, and it's the first album to be emblazoned with the Judas Priest logo that we all know and love so much. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes I forget about that, but that's right. It does have the Judas Priest logo that we love, the diagonal one. You know what I'm talking about. What I also wanted to talk about briefly is that Stained Class is an album that is mired in some controversy as well. For those of you who are familiar with the history of the band, you might know that this album was the subject of a 1990 civil action suit brought against the band. Probably don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this one because you know, we would want to talk about the song Better By You, Better, better, by you, than, better, better than, than Me. And the gist of it was parents claimed that the song had a backwards recorded message that encouraged suicide the band went on trial and the case was dismissed judas priest was found not guilty but it was a really crazy event in the band's history and the entire metal scene was watching and they were on priest's side because what it came down to was that metal was just being a scapegoat for the sort of bad things that happened when it's really not music that caused this terrible tragedy. You know, heavy metal has always been, or at least it was, it was for a long time, a scapegoat for overly concerned parents who thought that it was some sort of gateway to Satan. And certainly some metal is, but Judas Priest is the furthest thing from a satanic band. Yeah, I would agree with that, you know. Largely, they're a band that doesn't cover politics and social issues. They do a little bit, but it's not like the majority of what they focus on. It definitely is something they only delve into very occasionally, and they don't take a sort of religious stance. Yeah, and you know, this is kind of the beauty of Priest in my book, is that they do cover songs that are topics that are pretty vague. They never get into specifics. I don't think you can really pin down what their political or religious positions are. And that's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. There is a lot of room for interpretation. But without going too deep down that rabbit hole, here to talk about stained class, 
It is such a banger of an album and just such a phenomenal song, George. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Hell yeah, dude. So Stained Class is an album that you could really you could really lump that into the progressive rock or progressive metal subgenre. I think probably more so than any other Priest album. Because when Stained Class came out in 1978, those were some of the most technically complex songs that you could hear in metal and rock. A lot of tempo changes and within the confines of the length that the songs were, Priest would fit in a lot of music, a lot of lyrics, a lot of ideas. I would say that for the 43-minute album Stained Class is, it's very dense. You'll feel like you have gone on a journey to somewhere and back around the orbit of an entire planet by the time you finish listening to Stained Class front to back, especially if you're in an elevated state, if that's the kind of thing you're into. Now, Stained Class, the song, the title track, it embodies that spirit because this is a song that goes through a lot of changes and it has a lot of amazing guitar work going on. It's fast. There's a lot of lyrics and a lot of ideas being thrown at you all within five minutes. That was one of the things that when I was researching this song in this episode, I was looking over the lyrics to this song and it's, it is dense. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Priest is usually, they usually don't have this much content pressed into one song. You know, Halford is usually a man who likes to keep his ideas focused. He says what he has to say and not a word more. So it was surprising to me that there were so many verses to this song or there were there was just so much to it i think that that's a nice interesting change of pace for what we usually get yeah and i know that you really really love to get into the lyrics so i'm really eager to hear what you think and let's stick our fingers all the way into the ground beef Let's do it, and let's talk about these meaty lyrics. Yes. So we start off with the first verse, comes in, and it's wild-eyed and tight-fisted. I'm fused to the bone. I stand contemplating, reacting alone. Impaled with betrayal, the tourniquet turns. Society's creation, pole axed out and burnt. So I actually don't know what to make of that. Um, I'm curious to hear your interpretation. That verse is very difficult. And I'm not sure that at this point in the song, I don't think any listener is really getting it. I think that it takes a little longer for the song's ideas to start to make a little more sense. Mm. I do have to point out, I think it's funny how 
Rob sings tourniquet, but everyone I've talked to, I've always heard tourniquet. So I don't know. Is it supposed to be tourniquet? It looks like a French word. So maybe <laughs> I, I don't friggin' know. I have no idea in all honesty, because I've only ever heard tourniquet as well. So, right. I mean, like, but I'm inclined in to believe Slayer, Rob. Uh, one of the songs on rain and bloods. I remember Tom Mariah would always say, tie the tourniquet round your neck. Yeah. I mean, I also remember Tom Mariah pronouncing accusation as acoutious. So it's hard to tell. <laughs> so, yeah, let's not take his pronunciations to heart too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's see. So the next verse we go into long ago when man was king, his heart was clean. Now he's stained class. Time has slashed each untouched thing so now he's just a stained class king Now, I don't know what to make of the title stained class. Well, I, I understand it's a wordplay on like stained glass, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not. What do you think stained class is supposed to represent? I couldn't find a source from the band where they ever mentioned what that title is supposed to mean. So that I think is widely open to interpretation. But when I'm thinking about what stained class means to me, it maybe it's sort of referring to a class system that divides people and how that sort of corrupted system that is stained because class division is just something that makes people further apart from each other and creates a lot of pain towards the people who are on the bottom of that class system. You know, this kind of reminds me of our episode on um, some heads are going to roll. It seems like there's an idea here about revolutionary class consciousness. It's hard to tell, though, because these the lyrics are very broad, so to speak. Like here is one another one. Lethal, deadly, hung, drawn and quartered. He slaughtered and faltered and altered the world. But by doing so, smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams whipping stripping peeling the flesh off relentless and senseless his lust snaped like vipers whose fangs sank in deep to infest and decay from the core Now, I interpret that as when revolutionaries come to power, especially dictators, a sort of tendency to become the very thing that you set out to destroy. Power can corrupt even young, idealistic, revolutionary people. Oh, yeah. What's that old saying? 
power corrupts and power corrupts absolutely absolute power corrupts absolutely so it's hard to say though with any level of certainty if that's what the band is driving at with this song i think that's actually in keeping in with the um, progressive metal tradition in all honesty or in this case I wouldn't really call this like progressive metal. Progressive metal was not a thing yet, but it was definitely prog rock of some kind. Yeah, I think that's a good interpretation. I'm not one of those metalheads who makes a big stink about what subgenre things should or shouldn't be classified into. Mm. Oh, God. Remember when around the time you and I were growing up, that was a lunch table argument every day. It drove me nuts. It was insufferable. Like the whole no like, suffocation is not technical death metal. They're brutal death metal. Yeah, I know. Uh, like Aelthorn uh, <laughs> is in pirate metal. They're folk metal. Oh God. I, I tend right. to, I try to take the Alexi Leho approach where metal is metal. I think it's a there waste of, I think it's a waste of time, honestly, trying to pigeonhole bands into a subgenre or even dividing genres in particular. It's all metal. Like, do we really need to affix a label to it? I don't know. Having the kind of broad labels of subgenres, it can be helpful for fans who want to find new bands and they can look at the classifications and they can sort of find out if this one band is lumped together with these other bands, maybe they'll find something new. They like it's like Slayer is thrash metal. I like Slayer. So is municipal waste. Okay. Let's try municipal waste. Okay. There's overlap there. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's, I guess it's like when you break, when you start breaking down the macrocosms of metal Mm -hmm. where it's like, Okay, it's we've the got... arguments I can't stand. Yeah, it's like okay, it's not that important, guys. <laughs> yeah, like if you're really gonna like die on the hill of drawing a, a distinction between brutal death metal and technical brutal death metal and technical metal, just enjoy the music. <laughs> Who cares what you and I think it is? Yeah. So, progressive rock, progressive metal heavy metal whatever you would like to call stained class we're not gonna we're not gonna get too argumentative about labels because whatever just listen to it guys yeah just listen to the song because it's a banger like priest is priest um no matter what era you're listening to you're gonna find something you like you know chances are so getting back to those lyrics now i think that A lot of people I've seen on comment threads try to interpret this as sort of a corrupted king who loses his power. And I think that probably comes from the chorus long ago when man was king, his heart was clean. Now he's stained class. And I think that's actually interpreting it a little too literally. So 
here's another way that you can look at it. It says when man was king, that doesn't necessarily mean literally that he was a king. I think what it's actually saying when man was king, when man was dominant Mm -hmm. as a turn of phrase, like when mankind was the dominant race. And that could be this story taking place in the future and looking back on a time in which mankind was either on the decline or usurped as the most powerful race by something else. You see, this is what I find. It's so much fun to listen to people's interpretations of priest songs, because I don't think that any two priest fans like look at a song the same way. Honestly, this is a really good example of that. So your interpretation, you're thinking of, people who like a society in which like the human race has kind of lost its way and is being ruled over and is less than as grand as it used to be. And I'm looking at this through the lens of a corrupt revolutionary who comes into power and is corrupted by the very same forces that he sought to usurp. Now, I think that part is definitely coming out more in the other verse you mentioned yeah. where it says he slaughtered and faltered and altered the world, but by doing so smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams. Yeah. So it's like, I see that and I read it as sort of a revolutionary and revolutionary, not in the nonviolent sense, Mm. like a violent revolution, the sort of thing that, you hear about in history it's slaughtered and faltered so by engaging in this violence he failed in upholding his own beliefs that's why it says faltered and altered the world well that part self-explanatory but then when you get to the part that says smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams you start to think well whoever is the character in this story They started out with some high, lofty ideals, like the word utopian sort of implies that they want to make the world a perfect or better place. And then you start thinking about historical leaders like Mao or Stalin, sort of communist leaders who had these beliefs that they want to make the population more equitable and they want to raise the living standard but then they go about these methods where they become corrupt and create also a lot of death and pain as a negative consequence to what they initially tried to accomplish. I heard this on a TV show that, and I'm going to paraphrase here. When you set out to make the world better, better never means better for everyone. It always means worse for someone. So it's easy to become resentful when you are looking at someone as some kind of oppressor. And in a lot of cases, a lot of these revolutionary leaders of the 20th century wound up becoming, in some cases, worse than the leaders that they overthrew. There's actually a really interesting Twilight Zone episode about this where there are these revolutionaries who take power in some unnamed Latin American country, I think it's it seems like. And they describe how that when you are 
in a position of power for the first time, you look around and you see enemies everywhere. And when you see enemies everywhere, you see threats and threats need to be eliminated. A lot of people who are not accustomed to having power quickly become drunk on it, especially if they become an absolute ruler without other people to keep them in check. Another thing is when you come to power through violence, that becomes your sort of mental norm for power and you equate power with violence and when you establish that sort of standard for yourself right from the beginning then you'll always be looking over your shoulder for someone else to overthrow you just like you overthrew someone the guy before you yeah it's like that that old saying that um if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah There's another interpretation of stained class that I'm seeing in the lyrics that might tie back to what we were saying in the first line of the chorus. His heart was clean. Now he's stained class. Now, another way you can use the word class in English, like classy and Mm. classy can imply, oh, they're fancy, they're noble, they're upscale or wealthy. So The stained class means someone who may have been important or honorable in the past, but now there's a stain or a black mark or a negative on their legacy. See, I, this is why I kind of like that. You said before that you couldn't really find any definitive answers from the band as to what stained class means. It's widely open to interpretation. And I honestly still don't know how to make heads or tails of it. So I like that you're here to kind of give me your take on this particular subject. Stained We're class- both interested in literature. And I know that you really like to get deep into the lyrics. So I'm loving the things that you're bringing to the table to this discussion as well. My philosophy when it comes to entertainment is that I don't believe there's such thing as looking into something too deeply. You can look deeply into anything. And, you know, Priest, on the surface, you might think that some of their lyrics are very, I don't want to use the word shallow, but you might not think they're that deep because they're so broad, but in my mind, that makes them deep. You can go as deep as you want with this. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. Look at the conversation we've had over this entire podcast. We've gone pretty deep on Judas Priest, and we're only going to keep doing it. Yeah. Of course, we're doing it because A, they deserve it, and B, it's interesting like out of any band that has 18 studio albums, how many of them can say that those albums are as diverse as what Judas Priest has done in rock and metal over the course of 40 to 50 years? 
Yeah, and I mean, I'll be the first to admit Stained Class is not my favorite album by Judas Priest. To be fair, like my 10th or 11th favorite Judas Priest album is still a really good album. Yeah. So that's that's not a diss to Stained Class. No, not at all. Stained Class is just a fantastic song overall because you can really hear in the music that Priest is starting to embrace the heavier side of music. You can hear it in the riff of the first verse, that those classic like galloping triplets. That yes, they, sir. This is just, I think that Stained Class is the springboard that they were using to propel themselves to British steel. And after that, they came out and they were like, all right, we're going balls deep on this heavy metal thing because that's what makes sense to us to do as a band. Yeah. And actually I would even say that stained class in some parts of the album, it's heavier than a lot of the albums that came after it. Like I think that there's nothing on Hellbent for leather. That's quite as heavy as the screams on saints in hell or the gallops on stained class. I think that saints in hell has got to be my favorite song off of that album. That is a fuck that and exciter are both bangers. And this, I think ties back neatly into Judas priest because, you know, Les Binks as a drummer is so phenomenally skillful at what he does. And it makes me happy that he does that cover band priesthood, which they cover priest from the seventies and that's something yeah. that, is, that is worth preserving. We haven't talked about that yet. And I think it's because I just found this out very recently. So Wes Binks in the past four or five years, shortly before the COVID-19 pandemic started, he formed a cover band called Wes Binks Priesthood. And he does exclusively priest songs from his era of the band. So Stained Class, Killing Machine, Hellbent for Leather, and some of those earlier albums like Sad Wings of Destiny, he was playing Distant Aggressor, Victim of Changes, but it's all 70s Judas Priest material. And as we've talked about, there are a lot of Judas Priest fans who believe that's the best time period for the band or that's their favorite. And I think it's great that he found some sort of niche where he is focusing on that time period. And if I lived in the UK, honestly, I would love to see Priesthood live.
you know, after listening to Sin After Sin and Stained Class, I have so much more sympathy for the argument that the 70s era of Priest is the best era of the band. I on honestly, I kind of see where people are coming from with that. I don't think I agree with it, but I can absolutely understand why people feel that way, man. Yeah, Especially that's musical taste, right? Because yeah. if you're the kind of person who is into that sort of early metal and prog rock, then the 70s era of Judas Priest that's going to have the most that appeals to you. Yeah, if you like King Crimson, you will love the early era of Priest. True. In I definitely need to get a little more familiar with Stained Class because I was not crazy about it the first time I heard it. But, you know, I think that's kind of the way these things work for me is I will find something. You know, here's an example. The first time I listened to Nile, I hated that band. I thought it was nothing but mindless noise. And the more I listened to it, the more I fell in love with it. And I think that will probably happen with Stained Class because I was jamming out to that earlier today. I, I was listening to Sinners in Hell. I'm like, hell fucking yes, dude. This is like, this is really heavy shit. Oh, awesome song. And they yeah. played it when we saw them live. And yeah. that was the first time they had played it in decades. Wow. And Saints in Hell, man, that is just... Like you said, it's a heavy song. Halford is screaming on it, dude. Yeah. I think that they could absolutely afford to revisit this album. And this is one reason that I really love the, um, I loved fire, the firepower tour, but 50 heavy metal years is also fabulous because they're, they're bringing these songs back into the set list that's just something that not a lot of bands do that they should, man. Like I would absolutely love to see Vader perform songs from impressions and blood and necropolis, for example, there's a lot of bands where I really wish they would revisit their old catalog of music. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was talking to someone about this on Twitter earlier today, when you're a band that has, such a broad catalog of eight, 10, 12 albums. Like you sort of owe it to the fans and to your own legacy to preserve that and change up your set list every time you go on tour because you've got over a hundred songs. And if you play the same 15 songs every time you go on tour, the fans get, are going to get bored. And you're also doing yourself a disservice as an artist by not showcasing the scope of your work. Oh, yeah. So we talked about this when we spoke with Eric from Maiden A to Z. You know, the few the three out of the four times I saw Exodus live, they were they played the same set list without changing it at all. And the thing is, is that bands like Exodus and Judas Priest can they can play a different set every single night and for the rest of their careers and never play the same set twice. You're right about that, man. So it's definitely refreshing that they at least acknowledge this era of the band and that it does have its diehard fans. 
Yeah. And I wanted to bring up that we got a listener email about Invader. So yes, we already we talked about Invader in season one. And we got from Eric Sabati in McKinney, Texas. Sorry if I butchered your name. On Invader, that intro part with all the strange noise, that has always represented, in my interpretation, a UFO approaching, dropping off the character, the invader, and then taking off again. It's more than an audio palate cleanser. So I think that's a cool way to look at it. The fact that Eric Sabati from McKinney, Texas is telling us that the stuff that just sounds like strange noise is actually part of the story that the song is telling in Invader. You know, that actually makes it more interesting. And I think I'm going to have to go back and listen to the song again and think about his interpretation because that's really cool. And like you said, all these songs are up for interpretation, and I love that. Something my wife says that I really identify with is that art is answering a question that nobody knows how to ask. Yeah, That blows my mind to think about, and I happen to take that approach with Priest as far as their music is concerned. Um, they explore subject matter and topics that I wouldn't dream of even approaching in my life. And it really does make you think, you know, painkiller is a narrative about a savior figure and metal gods is a song about robot overlords taking over the world. So it's, Really interesting to see the variety of different things that they tackle. Yeah, man. And a lot of these you can sort of boil down to the very, very broad description of, oh, it's some kind of science fiction story. But they tackle all sorts of different themes to them. And also another interesting thing that I think has been pointed out by Rob Halford is that whenever there's a battle going on in Judas Priest lyrics and it's good versus evil, good is always coming out ahead in those sorts of stories because they're the sort of band that likes to deliver a positive, optimistic message. And that's coming straight from Rob, who agrees with that sort of sentiment. Like he wants to inspire people and he wants metal to be inclusive and uplifting to the people who listen. I love that because there are far too many stories that ultimately wind up concluding with evil prevailing or leaving a mark on the world that is so deep that it can never be undone. And what's refreshing about Prius is they, and I think Halford, firmly believes that good will always triumph over evil. And that's a sentiment that I like to believe. It makes me hopeful for the future. You know, maybe it is the case that 
good is more powerful than evil, even though evil is it seems to be louder, so to speak. And that's sort of the narrative of the day, how things just always seem to be getting worse and worse. And it can be a little tricky to hold out hope for the future, but you sort of have to if you're going to have the strength to go on with yourself. Getting back to Les Binks. Yes. Because you mentioned Les Binks before, and I have some quotes from him from Martin Popoff's book where Les talks about the equipment that he used for recording stained class. Something he says about Ringo Starr from the Beatles. Oh, Ringo's okay. kit was very basic. Bass drum, mounted tom, floor tom, snare tom, uh, snare drum, hi-hat, and a couple cymbals. That was it. That's considered a basic kit, but that was all that he required for the music that the Beatles play. Yeah. But Les Binks goes on to describe that when he sits in on someone else's kit with that sort of basic setup, he feels like a guitarist playing with three strings. Oh, I love that analogy. He's He feels like he just doesn't have enough equipment to work with in order to make the sounds that he's trying to make or the beats he's trying to make because you need a variety of different drums in order to really get the correct specific sounds you're going for if you're in the sort of technical drumming space that Les Binks is in because he was incredibly skilled. He says he was using Pearl drums at the time, which are made in Japan, and he had two 22-inch bass drums. So to translate, he was playing double bass in the 1970s eat your heart out all you death metal and thrash metal bands (laughs) and he says that he would use a 12 a 13 a 14 toms mounted over the two bass drums and then a 16 and an 18 floor tom like he he would range them all the way from like six to 18 inch he had a variety of different tom drums because they would all make slightly different sounds and frequencies and his kit was massive. Like he had a lot of equipment to work with because he was very specific and knowledgeable about the sound and the beat he wanted to go for. See, the thing is with musicians like Binks is that they genuinely need all of those different components to bring their music to life. You see the same thing in eight string guitar players who really know what they're doing with the instrument that they need that added range and the diversity of sounds in order to create the music that they want to create less Binks, you know sometimes and i've seen this before you will have drummers that they've got i don't know like a 20 piece kit but they own but they only ever use like five of their pieces at a time Les Binks was probably a pioneer in things like that. I know that drummers like John Bonham were experimenting with um, having two bass drums when Zeppelin was around, but Binks, it seems, I mean, the fact that he was even considered for a band like KK's Priest is kind of proof that the dude can 
he's got chops, man. He could drum with the best of them, like the best of any young drummer today. You know, I even think that if push came to shove, he could have performed the songs on Painkiller. I think so, too. And obviously, Scott Travis is amazing. He's mm. he is the priest drummer. He's been in the band for over 30 years. Yeah. But Les Binks, he could have done it. I agree. Mm. Les Binks played double bass. He was very skilled. He was fast. He's kept his skill up over the years. There are a couple videos on YouTube of him playing in the cover band we mentioned, Priesthood, mm. and he still is able to play the songs to a T. Mm. So, yeah, I think that even though he's getting up there in age, he's still quite skilled. And yes, I think he could easily perform most, if not all, of the Scott Travis material. He suffered some kind of injury, if I remember correctly. And that's why he couldn't um, perform with KK's Priest, which is kind of a shame because I really would have liked to have seen that. That would have been nice. That would have been a good all-star lineup of ex-Priest members. And, I mean, whoever they ended up with as the drummer after Banks, it's like, okay, I'm sure he's good, but who cares? That's... That's not a name you've heard of when you're trying to sell yourself on the legacy of being in priest, get as many ex members as you can. <laughs> so stained class came out February 10, 1978. The album is celebrating its 44th anniversary and its legacy stands tall as a juggernaut of progressive metal and rock. It's one of the best things priest has ever done. And I don't say that lightly. It's an album that I'm looking forward to diving into more as we go on with this series. I am really, um, pun intended, I'm excited to talk about Exciter. I really love Saints in Hell. There's other songs on the album that I'm sure are phenomenal, but I am not terribly familiar with them. I'm going to make myself familiar with them. I actually have to get going in a little bit. I got to get dinner started. But when I do, I'm going to put I'm going to put stained class on my speaker and jam the fuck out. If I had to pick one word to sum up this album, I would say challenging. Hmm. Why use the word challenging? That's interesting. From front to back, Stained Class is full of tunes that are complex and heavy. Mm. When you think of these songs in the context of 1978, it's kind of insane what Judas Priest managed to accomplish here. Double bass drumming, years before thrash metal, 
galloping guitars years before Iron Maiden, a guitar tone and a screaming vocal that still sounds heavy today. Same class, in my opinion, man, it was sort of a lightning in a bottle. And it's only the fourth Judas Priest album out of 18 so far, but it stands up against any of their other work. And the band was clearly challenging themselves, trying to think outside the box, coming up with songs that were innovative, but at the same time, quite refined. And that's not all. Judas Priest was also challenging the listeners with Stained Class because as I was alluding to earlier, this would probably be the heaviest album you ever heard if you picked this up in a record shop in 1978. I would say that it's ambitious. I mean, Priest has never lacked for ambition, but this one especially, they're really grasping for something that had not existed and we talked about this a while ago, is that there was no blueprint for heavy metal at the time. There wasn't any influence to derive from. So these guys pretty much had to invent new sounds. Stained Class is a testament to that because starting from Rock Rolla, going into Sin After Sin, there was a buildup because... And again, another thing I've said before is that there was always a heavy metal band that was just waiting to get out. This is probably when they fully realized, okay, we want to go for the heavy sound. That's the thing that we want to tap into the most. It was a gamble at the time. And dude, they, as we say in D&D, they rolled a fucking 20. Nat 20. Yeah, man, exactly. So, you know, thank goodness for that. Who knows what the music scene would look like had they chosen to stick with the progressive rock path. And of course, we should mention that Rob Halford, during his solo career, covered Stained Class. And you can hear that version on the live Insurrection uh, CD or, oh, what am I saying? CD. No (laughs) one has those. Stream it online. (laughs) It's called Live Insurrection. And in my opinion, it's the best thing Halford has ever done as a solo artist. It's all the best songs of his solo career along with a great selection of priest classics, including a couple of lesser known ones that haven't been played in many years, like this song, Stained Class. Clean, 
he heavies it up. He modernizes it to fit with the vocal range that he had in the year 2001 when he was opening on tour for Iron Maiden. Man, I wish I was old enough to go to that. Oh, God. The amount of concerts that happened between 1990 and like 2005 that I wish I could have gone to. <laughs> Man, in every time I watch Dissection's live Rebirth album, I just like, God fucking damn it. I wish I could have been there. But I was, alas, a very young man and also did not live in Sweden and still don't. We just, we have to wait for time travel to be invented and yeah. I'm getting really impatient about it. dude. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I mean, I kind of really want that time machine to, I don't really care about anyone else's time machine. Like, where's my time machine? Yeah, man. I mean, listen, that DeLorean's pretty cool, but. It doesn't help me. Where's my flux <laughs> capacitor? Yeah. Yeah. George, sadly, I do have to be wrapping up relatively soon. Do you have any final thoughts about staying class before we sign off? I can talk all night, but there's always another episode. Yeah. And I'm sure that as time goes by, we'll be talking about this album a lot more because it's yeah. one of my favorites. And that's enough for now. But keep sticking with us every week, listeners, because we have so much more Judas Priest to talk about. Yeah, dude, we've got a lot more coming your way. This is only the beginning. We've got song episodes. We've got more talking priest on the way. There's a lot coming down the pipeline, and we're really excited to share all of it with you. So please stay locked in. And keep defending the faith. Taking it back to sin after sin, dude. Like, I am never going to get over how heavy Dissident Aggressor is. I cannot wait to talk about that song. Oh, yeah. Coming in April. Yeah, dude. Like, Simon Phillips, his drumming, like, especially that fill he does after one of Rob Halford's greatest screams in his career is just so friggin' good. And it always blows my mind when you bring up that Slayer did not have to change a thing about that song in order to make it heavy. Yeah. Like I, that's one of those little pieces of wisdom that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Well, thank you. Although the, the Slayer cover is pretty damn good too. And South of heaven is just a fucking amazing album. You know, I haven't listened to South of Heaven all the way through, believe it or not. I think that's like probably my not right behind Rain and Blood. 
there's rain and blood is the top obviously mm-hmm. and then right below that is south of heaven and christ illusion is right next to it for me i love christ illusion and it's so good yeah dude um i even like um what's the one god hates us all i even like that album i like that too yeah i don't understand i probably because that was disciple was the first slayer song i heard so it has it holds a special place for me but we're not here to talk about slayer i could talk about slayer all day yeah i i I, you know not my favorite band but i respect them so much for what they pioneered in the genre of thrash metal Mm -hmm. the criticisms towards slayer are valid Mm. and they're also just Things that I can live with. Okay, Carrie King can't solo. Whatever. <laughs> he can riff like better than anyone. And that's what I'm there for. I'm there for the riffs. Yeah. That was another thing you told me is that Slayer was a band that came together to be more than the sum of its parts. And it just happened to work out really well. Steve Lombardo is probably still an ace, though. That like he's the MVP. Oh. Yeah, he made that band, dude. Without Dave Lombardo, there is no Slayer. True. You know, that it, it's kind of something we take for granted now, but he really was a pioneering drummer at the time that that, that Rain and Blood came out. <laughs> 